How do we join with others to achieve and experience more and get in flow as a unified team? This is the question we ask each episode in the Unified Team podcast. Here's your host, Rob McPhillips. My name is Sandy De Jesus. I am a social media marketer, like genius. I'm obsessed with this kind of stuff. I study it constantly. Been doing it since I was 12. Um, and I just have a lot of fun with it. I think it involves a lot of communication and leadership, which I love. Because of that, I've been able to pay my bills with it. I do a lot of videography, content creation, page management, and just campaign marketing consulting for brands, businesses, and entrepreneurs. And I've been doing that now professionally for about eight years. I live in New York City. I love comedy. And I'm very excited about the future of work. And I'm excited to leave my mark on it. Sounds great. So how did you get started? So how I got started goes back a little bit. Very early on, knew that I was one of those creative, like ADHD kids. I didn't know this back then, but I know to categorize it as now. And I only say that because I notice a lot of the people that use that terminology now had similar upbringings. I was taking apart toys. I didn't want to stand still. And I've also learned that's something that comes to do with just being a guy that just like to be physical and learn in different ways. And I grew up in the Dominican Republic. So I was always outside, always playing, always learning with my hands. Moving to New York City in 2003, school and the corporate production and, and, and work lifestyle did not come familiar to me. I didn't like sitting at my desk. I didn't like doing homework none of that like i it was very frustrating to me always that i had to do schoolwork and then i had to do homework it was very frustrating for me so because of that and because of all my skill sets and natural abilities i was a very social person i loved making people laugh and that was true always ever since i was in school and i started schooling here in new york city in kindergarten i was always wanting to talk to people instead of do work. And luckily that stumbled into a strength because around 12 years old, I was playing a lot of video games. And when you're playing video games, at least now, it's very obvious that you will Google something. You will search up a YouTube video to try to learn how to play the game, how to get ahead, all the secrets, the best strategies. And I was seeing how much these influencers were making. They were buying new homes, home tours, all these different things. And long story, I was a very good test taker. I got into good classrooms, good opportunities school-wise, but all of my teachers just kept telling me I had potential and that I was lazy. But when that college conversation came around, I was like, hey, how do I do this? How do I become an, a successful person? And it was really, how do you make as much money as possible? I Googled it. Cardiologists were making 500000 a year. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to be a doctor. I've watched enough Grey's Ana- Grey Anatomy episodes. I was like, I can do this. But that required another eight years of schooling. And I didn't feel comfortable with that. So I got into content creation because I, I, I enjoyed making people laugh and I had been watching so many YouTubers from all my gaming research. And then by the time I got into the professional path, I just noticed that they were making a lot of money. So I pursued that path, but I got into it just because I liked comedy. So who were your earliest comedy influences? So number one, for sure, was uh, Kevin Hart. He, back when I was in that middle school era, was getting very big on Comedy Central and I was learning from him. He had an audio book too that I consumed out of high school as well or during high school. And he was speaking about how his success 
truly took off for him and selling out shows on Facebook. So again, I went down this natural pathway of learning that social media and that the entertainment space was feasible and possible. It's great making videos on my laptop, just trying to get the hang of it. But I realize now there was no magic that was like, wow, like I'm so talented and let me start making videos young. It was really just the courage. It was just the courage to get on camera and to speak in front of an audience, which again, I had been doing in my classrooms were full of 20 to 30 kids. And I was speaking up constantly every single day, trying to make people laugh. I'm guessing you were the class clown. Ah, uh, yeah, I definitely aim to be. So 12 is, is maybe the age where you're quite comfortable speaking out. And then there's a, like the teenage years where people seem to shrink back somewhere from about 13, 14 to early to mid twenties. Mm -hmm. um, did you experience anything like that or were you always quite comfortable in the spotlight? I definitely retreated. Uh, after I started making videos, I was about sixth grade, 2009 to 2010. Right around that time, my parents got a divorce. And that for me was very reality shattering because you have this perspective of the world of anything I put my mind to, I can accomplish. The world is beautiful. I'm going to do great things. People are so great. We have to work hard, like all these different things to why are my parents getting a divorce? And so there was a lot of internal navigation that pulled me away from people right around that time. I, yeah, of course, I loved being entertaining in front of people, but it was just because out of boredom, I didn't know what else to do. I was being forced to be in the classrooms, but I did spend a lot of time playing video games, spending a lot of time learning the online space. There was a natural retreat, but there was also a, a internal navigation. So I retreated from the outside world and I went inward, if that makes sense. I like the way that you worded that because... I think that encapsulates what teenagers do. Being a bit older and having seen my daughters go through that kind of stage, there's that outgoing time when kids are young and then they go in their shell and then it takes them to their 20s before they come out. And when you look at statistics, uh, research, the loneliest people is teenagers. And I wonder if there's something in that in retreating into themselves. Okay. And then you came to the college age and what happened there? Yeah, so around my college age, right around senior year of high school, I was already working. My sister had been working at a restaurant and she got me a job. And even there, I got more reassurance that, at least for me, from my point of view, that school was not the path that I wanted to go down. I started doing 50-hour weeks at a restaurant job. As soon as I got out of school, I would go to work. There were towards the end of my senior year, I completely just stopped going to school and I only went to the classes that I needed to graduate. And that's another side story, but they were giving me eight classes as a senior when I only needed one art credit. So they were trying to keep me in school for no reason, as if I didn't have an entire world to conquer. Like at that age, which is why I think we have this internal navigation around that age is you come into this space, you collect enough data outside, and then you're like, wait a second, I need to do internal work as well. Who am I? What do I like? What do I want to do? Why is working hard so hard? Why can't I just do it? So there's a lot of internal navigation that, that, that happens. But through that, I learned that people do value hard work. Around the middle school time, when I was going through my depression, 
I thought that hard work didn't pay off. I thought that people would just say things like that just to trick you into playing nice. But truth be told, the life was really hard and ugly. But around that time, I started working a lot, had enough money to invest in, in things that I wanted to invest in. I built my own PC. And around that time, I, I leaned into the freedom that I've always wanted. So around that time, there was no telling me <laughs> that I was wrong. And then right after graduating high school, um, I quite literally paired up with a guy that I just met on Twitter and, and started traveling the world six months after graduating high school. So there was a level of independence that was developed around that time that allowed me to continue to be even more cold. Because you do have to make a decision around that time of who are you? You have to stand on your own two feet. I can definitely empathize. My whole time, school and college, was a rebellion because I felt, why am I here? I could do this quicker. I could do this in four or five years. Why are you making me do it for 12? Why do you say that I have to sit here at your pace, learning what you want me to learn? Yeah, 100%. I think depending on where you're what you're experiencing i think it's a fight or flight moment where you decide whether or not you are going to surrender to the world and your fears or if you're going to surrender to your courage because at that point you have to decide whether you're going to die on your own sword and it is a very important time, but I think it is developed around that time where you're like, wait a second, no, I'm going to decide what happens, right? Because even around that time too, and I'm curious to hear what you went through around that time, but I was experiencing and learning a lot about death because I was having deaths happen in my family. Around that time, it wasn't just what college do I want to go to? It was how do I want to die? Who do I want to be before I die? It starts now. I have a lot of work to do. The people in my family, the grown-ups in my family, I've already superseded them in terms of really understanding what the world is like. I've seen you, you spend so much time in those years thinking about the future, putting it all together in your head. So it is a very big decision that you make around that time where you're like, wait a second, who, who am I going to choose to be? But then you realize that it's a decision you have to continuously make every single day. And, and that's why I honor and respect leadership so much. But yeah, conviction, trust, faith, courage. There's so many different words to put on it. But if it's very interesting that your environment is such a big part of that conversation, but so is your spirit. So is who in yourself and that little voice that speaks up when the whole world is so loud. But of, of course, first you have to hear the little voice. And I think there's so much noise outside in terms of school and parents and people and peers telling you what, who you should be and what you should do, that it's not always easy to listen to that person inside. People have their best interests for you, but I think that's the challenge. I think people need to remove their agenda off of other people and allow you to make your own mistakes. There is so much pressure around that time from people on how to do things, how not to make mistakes. But if there's one thing I've learned in my later years is to surrender to nature and surrender to the true reality that we are all experiencing. And it's that we're all learning things in, in different ways. We're all here to research a different mechanic of the universe. And I believe that my mechanic that I'm researching and that I'm obsessed with is growth. 
I love growth, but to be obsessed with uh, such a, such a curriculum at such an early age, it's quite triggering for people because everybody wants to feel like they're right. And they're guiding you towards a more fulfilling place in life, but they're only measuring you against themselves. And that's dangerous. You said you felt that, like you'd reached a stage where you'd surpassed the elders in your family. In So you felt like that you were the one that needed to come up with the answers. I saw an interview the other day with Shia LaBeouf. He's a very big actor here in America. He's done a big ton of big movies, but he put it very nicely where you realize as a kid, you're so closely connected to source that if you don't see what you want to see in your reality, you have to become a creator. So I became a creator, but I realized early on that I was choosing the creator role, whereas people in my family were not. So what they were trying to teach me was not useful because I was trying to create, whereas they were trying to assimilate and adjust. So yeah, I realized a lot of our family, we come from poor neighborhoods in the Dominican Republic. We came to America just trying to survive, just trying to get by. And that's not what I was subscribing to. So I respected a lot of the information that my family was giving me, but I knew that it was coming from a place of fear. And I know that I'm going to die one day. And if I'm going to die one day, I don't want to be making my decisions based off of fear. Of course, I want to be responsible, but not from a place of fear. This is something that's really interesting now is something I'm thinking about a lot is the generational differences. So I think there's always a tension. So I'm a generation ahead of you. And so I look at my daughters and I look and I think, how can I, I see them going through the same things? And you think, how can you pass on? You can see when you lived enough time, you've seen enough cycles that you start to see people making the same mistakes. But there's a, a view from a younger side that I, I, I know, yeah, dad, but things are different now and all of this kind of thing. And you think about in sharing knowledge, not just with my children, but generally, how do you save people? There's something about humans that we seem to need to go through the pain of experience before we often learn. So each generation, there's a natural tension that I'm not sure if you've, have you ever heard come across spiral dynamics, mm -hmm. Ken Wilber's stuff of, so that it's, they talk about it in different colors as in society goes through spirals. And so there's very conservative and very concerned with society, which then leads to a generation, which is very focused on the individual and freedom, which then comes around to a society, which then, and in different ways, mm -hmm. And they detail different levels of evolution. Something that is also talked about a lot is millennials in the workplace. Z is the new one, isn't it? Here we are. Yeah. And so there's a, seems to be very different perspectives. And I don't know if you've ever come across Morgan Housel's Psychology of Money. No, I'm going to need an, a, a list of book recommendations from you. <laughs> Just to give you an overview is what I really like is he talks about money, but about the psychology. And he says that, our outlook on money is more determined by the experiences we've had. So example, baby boomers, they came through the war. The generation before came through the Great Depression of the 20s and the 30s. So I grew up in the 70s, 80s. So the 70s was a time of great turmoil, chaos. The 80s were a time of great materialism. It was mm. like the first yuppies. And so the experiences that each generation have gone through are what determine their attitudes towards money. Baby boomers have like 
never had it so good that whole generation that for the first time there was money there was a wealth of money it was easy to make money property was cheap things like that then after that there's there's different generations which have different experiences so i'm wondering like what was going on when you were growing up socially and how that might have impacted your views on work life that's a great question so for example you were the first generation really that had youtube facebook all of these things so it's a yeah it's a great change from any other generation probably yeah no i saw all these programs come up i was on youtube when it first launched i was on facebook when it first launched i was on myspace i was listening to the websites that my uncles and aunts were dating on high five was one what i think and this is again why i think it's a spiritual thing because i think gen zers can sense this they just don't know how to verbalize it i think that we as humans try our best i think it's really beautiful what i've seen my entire life with humans and we can all regardless of our generation share the understanding that we didn't the human experience is we didn't choose to be here we were assigned a family we were born and things change and even though that's sad and scary we try to hold on to the things that we think could at least make tomorrow a little bit better and a little bit better because we try to keep alive what we see change and die with our older uh, loved ones and so I understand that. And I know that Gen Zers understand that as well. But I think that the older generations, at least from what I've seen growing up, they're a little bit more afraid. And, and I think that happens with time because as you assimilate and grow with this universe and this life, essentially the more you have to lose. And I think that what I saw very specifically was that even though my family members were working really hard and they were coming home late. My dad was coming home late. My mom was coming home late. They were all sacrificing a lot, but they weren't happy. We left this country in the Dominican Republic to come to the United States for a better life. We were making more money, but everything costs more. We were making more money, but the parents didn't have time to raise me because they needed to work more. We had a better place to live and a better looking bathroom, but we were all empty. There was no time and attention. I think back to what you were saying earlier, I think it's very beautiful that older generations try to pass on knowledge and wisdom, but we all have to remember that when we were all putting ourselves together so that we could survive death, essentially, right? You're putting yourself together when you're in 12, all the way up to college years, you're putting yourself together. You're trying to survive. You don't want people to hurt you. You're trying to be strong. You're trying to be attractive. You're putting yourself together. Everyone's giving you I learned in uh, business that it's free consulting. Everybody has free consulting. Everybody wants to give you free consulting. But the information that you truly want is information you pay for. What I would have loved from my mother, my father, is for them to, instead of just everyone else telling me what to do, is to take me to the river. In, in Alan Watts, The Wisdom of Insecurity, they speak about how humans, we appreciate the river and we love the river. But we try to hold on to the river and put it in a bucket. But once you put the river in the bucket, it's no longer a river. And so what I would have loved for my parents is to be walked to these lessons. Don't tell me what to do and don't tell me what the answer is. I want you to understand that I'm using the same technology that you used to learn your lesson. I'm using it too. So don't just give me the information. Take me there. I've learned a lot of wisdom from cold showers exercising, 
discipline. These are the, the natural things of life that I think truly teach lessons. And these are the natural things of life that take that wisdom and really integrate it into your cells. So that way when things get hard, you can actually make the right call. And so there's just all these different things that I analyze, but what I truly come to, under, to feel in my body is that there's this fear going on and it all comes from love from these older generations. What is it? They're trying to protect us. They're trying to guide us towards the right path. Again, I think that's just uh, taking a bucket of water and trying to call it a river. I understand that the world is scary, but if and this is a conversation I wish I could have with my parents, my parents speak Spanish, so it's a little bit harder to, to communicate these things. And they just, they haven't done the emotional intelligence work to really understand these ideas. I just wish that they understood that they knew that life was full of change and that they were going to die and that I was going to die. So if you know that life is scary and that this is what you've essentially signed me up for, then when it comes to passing on wisdom, let's take those same truths into the conversation, right? Don't just give me the information, take me to the river, take me to the forest, talk to me about death, talk to me about you know, these deep things. Don't just give me the cherry on top. Give me the entire Sunday. I want the entire ice cream because that's what matters to me because I'm going to die too. I've seen a lot in my life where it's a lot of, oh, trust me, you don't want to know. I'm going to, I went through so much and I'm trying to protect you, but it's okay. So you're going to keep things hidden from me. And I think that there is a, that's obviously the conversation right now is from the older generations, to these new generations that there's just this misunderstanding. But I think it's just that people really need to understand that Gen Zers, we see it from the same perspective you do. We were just born a little bit further down the line and our reality 2024 is asking us to be courageous. The economy is asking us to be courageous. Our spirits are asking us to be courageous. We don't just want to work for work's sake. We want meaning. We want to die with purpose. And I think that's something we're not willing to sacrifice. And I think that if the older generations want to truly connect with us, they need to accept this bitter pill of we're going to die. Stop spending so much time at work. Take me to the river. Quite literally, I would recommend that to older generations. If you're trying to connect with your, your kids, how do you connect with yourself? I'm sure you connect with yourself the same ways they need to connect with themselves. Do that together. Go on a hike, do something challenging together, do a cold plunge together. That's the kind of stuff that I feel like really connects people. I've learned a lot this year and last year about what it means to be a man and what is it? Rites of passage. I think the beautiful perspectives that all these generations have is coming to a place of we need to find mutual understanding. And the only mutual understanding we can find is what we all used to be here in the first place, which is nature and, you know, what God is. And you can, I only say that word because I feel like people understand the concept of God, but there's this an intelligence here that we were born to that is trying to talk to us and teach us. And I think that for me, at least the disconnect is that when older generations ignore that and they don't, and they don't want to speak about it, and I think that it would make a big difference and it would be a much more productive conversation. What do you think, Rob? Okay, that's fascinating. Um, I'm trying to piece it together. Okay, so when you say older generations, there's so much fear. By that you mean there's, there's kind of structures and people want security, people want... So when I was growing up, 
it was where people were used to a job for life. That used to be before the generation before mine. It was like my, my dad worked for Kodak for 45 years and people would go into a job and they'd stay there and they, that's what they wanted. It was my generation that dealt with first where there wasn't a job for life and it was usual to change around. But we've had, so I, is that what you mean by the, by fear? As in people are afraid of consequences. People are afraid of losing jobs. People are afraid of things not working out. I think it's just, it was a, for me, it was a big sense of fear of letting go and change. There was fear of trying new things, fear of learning, fear of growing, fear of adjusting. Because if you are going to bring me into this world and I have to adjust and you're trying to find mutual understanding with me, then you have to learn how to adjust with me. Or what you're asking me to do is to leave you behind, which can be quite conflicting. So what you mean is basically work has to adjust for Gen Z. I think work is already adjusting for millennials. I think millennials are starting to already find a common ground between purpose and fulfillment. I don't think work has to change for Gen Z. I think that teaching and uh, parenting and that kind of stuff has to change. I think more, I, I'm more speaking to here to relationship between family members and parents, but it does have to be part of the conversation because when you're trying to make that, famil that family bond with the Gen Zer, the Gen Zers got their eyeballs on survival and, and, and buying groceries. And I think the concern that older generations have speaking to, to Gen Zers is that it comes from the same angle, but it comes back to... We're, we're, we're just trying to love each other and we're trying to have this uh, family perspective. So I'm not speaking here to uh, the work environment, even though it's a subcategory of this conversation. I'm more speaking to the parenting and the family aspect because we started this conversation of what did I see in the family while I was growing up that made my point of view and why I felt it was, I, I had superseded the perspectives. Okay. Something else I wanted to ask you about is you said you saw yourself as a creator rather than an assimilator. And I'm not sure I understand the difference. Yes. I, I learned about the first time I learned about assimilation was the 11th grade, that word. And what I mean by, the di by, by those two words is I could have assimilated. I could have uh, taken my attributes, my characteristic and said, you know what, Sandy, that's just your hobby, which was a lot of the words that I was hearing when I was growing up. That's just your hobby, Sandy. Keep that as a hobby. What, what are you going to do as your career? And I didn't want to assimilate. I didn't want to pick a job just for work's sake. I didn't want to go to college just for the sake of going to college. I didn't want to get A's just, just because everybody was telling me to. For me, it was one of the other words that I learned after graduating was fulfillment. I cared a lot about fulfillment. And so I became a creator. I spent a lot of years in the freelance stage. And as a creator, you make opportunities. You make, create, you find opportunities. So where my family wanted me to assimilate and have the traditional American dream like route. I wanted to be a creator. I said, I don't want to just work because the story at the restaurant job was I was getting great results. I became a shift manager at 17 and I was in charge of older people. I was increasing the revenue at the store when I was on the day that I was in charge, which was Saturdays. And when I asked for a promotion to become a general manager, which I thought would have been really cool, 17-year-old becomes general manager in New York City restaurant. It would have brought a lot of publicity towards the store and the entire brand. They told me I was too young. So I never wanted to assimilate to that, to a world where people told me what was possible and what wasn't possible. And so instead, I became a creator. 
making people laugh. I was a connector. I love adventures. And I made a career where that was possible. And because of that, I think I made the world a better place. I, I think that it's bad for the world when, you know, you commit to a career that you're not truly passionate about, because I think that every conversation needs that extra love in order for it to be a sustainable business and in order for the business to be better for the world overall. I've seen this in one of the companies that we worked for all of last year. They are the third largest coffee franchise in America and they do coffee, but you couldn't tell. You go to these conferences and it feels like they're building rockets, how much attention to detail they have and how much they love every system and, and, and protocol of their job. And so if you're not fully passionate about your job, I think it creates a lot of room for error and then the consequences are just, they just stack up over year and year. So for me, I wanted to be a creator. I wanted a position that I was fully passionate about so I could make the world a better place. I didn't want to just assimilate just for the sake of survival. Again, I think it came from a very fear-based mentality that my family had because we were immigrants. So I think I get it now. I think you mean by assimilate, you mean you fit into this existing structure. You wanted to create a new structure. Yes. It's like staying inside the box versus creating outside the box. Okay. This is fascinating to be able to understand. So we've got two sides of, of the generation. Something else I'd like to ask you about is, I don't know if you've seen Simon Sinek, who, when he had a rant about millennials in the workplace and the upbringing and what we- I've done work with Simon Sinek, which is ironic, right? When I was getting started around freelancing, I was uh, able to do an interview with him. And I think around that time was when that talk was going viral and I watched it. I think I remember watching it, but I do not remember. It was an, it's, a, it's an old interview, I'm assuming. I think so. I think it was the, it seems to be the one where he like went, went viral and, and launched him. Yeah. Around 2018, 2019. Yeah. I think I know which one you're talking about, but if you could remind me, that'd be great. Yeah. So basically I'm uh, going from memory that he said like our generation. So he said what he sees as uh, millennials going into work and they're like, I want to make an impact. And then two weeks later, they're like, well, I'm going to leave because I'm not making an impact. And he said, well, you haven't been there long enough. And he said, it's basically that our generation didn't want to make failure. As you've said, there was a fear around, I think a lot of parents had fear and it was like, you give eighth place trophies. No one ever fails. Everyone's told that they're special. So like older generations have been brought up quite harshly and it's do this, do that, sit there and be quiet be seen and not heard and then we went the other way and you're special so he's talking about that he's talking about dating apps like you say social media that everything is you swipe left and you, you can hook up but actually real relationships take time so it's the allure and the promise of social media as opposed to the fulfillment that really comes through time and energy and effort yeah 100%. So now take that for instance, right? So if we're trying to communicate that knowledge to Gen Zers, we don't just say it. I, I, I do a lot of coaching now, and this is an exercise I love to do, especially around dating with my clients, is I'll hop on FaceTime with them and they'll go to a busy corner in their city or town or whatever. And they'll, anytime they see, they, they see somebody that they think is attractive, they'll let me know. And I tell them, go and talk to them, go and talk to them. Because you can't just say that. You can't just say, hey, because think about it, right? We've been brought up on so much information. Everybody's telling us something. 
the internet is telling us something, the articles are telling us something, news, our influencers, everybody's telling us something. But we want to feel this sort of presence and this level of being seen that we sometimes don't know how to communicate. But I think that we don't know how to communicate because it's also been left out of the stories. We've been only taught the cherry on top. But what I love to do is, hey, let's go and let's go experience this in person. Let's go experience that fear and the nervousness and all that stuff. Because you realize afterwards that you're totally fine. You're fine. But for a parent or somebody older to just... Because Simon Sinek will say it, and I understand he can't hang out with each of us and, and teach us these lessons. But as someone that's maybe dealing with this responsibility of, I feel like I have to do something. How do I speak to a Gen Zer? Challenge them. Go take them outside. Connect them back with the truth. Because I think there is this, this comfort that we are all prescribed, but only because people are buying into it. So Gen Zers, we get into the the market landscape and we're being advertised to, we're being advertised what works. These marketing companies and these technology companies didn't get their research out of nowhere. They know that these things work. As we're being advertised, we're being given, get, being all this information. We just want to feel something real. And I think that things flip on their head when you just bring people back to the truth. Now, I think that big part of the conversation is again that people are just trying their best and that it's all love and we're all just trying to be protected but if you are protecting me from the truth by hiding the truth that's dangerous that's real dangerous and i think that's where you have kids spiral and break rules on purpose and go crazy because they feel so isolated. Could you imagine what would happen if you put a chimpanzee inside of a, a, a hospital room for too long? It would go insane. So it feels like spiritually and mentally, sometimes people put us through these things for our protection. But yeah, it's, I think it's just bringing us back to the truth in a way that almost shows us respect. Like, hey, you can handle the full lesson. Now I'm starting to, I think I'm starting to understand. Gen Z um, training with Rob Big Phillips. Welcome, guys. <laughs> so I suppose we grew up with we grew up with television, but it was very limited. And we grew up probably with books, and we grew up with systems and structures that we fitted in. So there's the industrial revolution. There's every, all these kind of structures. People go to a job, and what's happened since I entered the old world of work and that kind of thing is we've had all social media. We've had an explosion of entertainment. I grew up with, there was three TV channels, then became four, then became five, and we thought five was a lot. And then suddenly you get satellite TV, which is 500 channels. Generation has, sorry? I remember that too, by the way. Oh, wow. But your generation has grown up with Netflix, on-demand video, social media. You've also grown up with technology. And I'm guessing you had phones at school. Or 2011 is probably... Well, and, and I think this is good, good to bring this up. I think Gen Z, truth be told, I don't think we have to worry too much about Gen Z, right? I was born in 1998. So when I was five, when I was six, seven, flip phones were out. So I saw the natural progression of flip phones to smartphones. Like, I lost my mind too when Blackberry... Blackberries were out, sidekicks were out, and then all of a sudden you had a full phone, no buttons, it was all touch. I, that blew my mind. I think what we je definitely have to be very careful and worried about is the kids growing up now. The kids that quite literally are growing up with Netflix and YouTube. The kids that are quite literally three, four years old watching YouTube all day. Those are the ones that are quite literally growing up with this stuff.
when I was living in uh, the Dominican Republic, we had uh, an antenna for the TV. Mm. We had those few channels. I remember when you wanted to watch a movie, you had to wait till it was being streamed on the YouTube channel. Or when Netflix and Blockbuster did come out, you had to order the CDs and you had to wait for them to come into mail and all these different things. If you wanted to use a computer, you had to go to the library, things like that. So I remember things like that. I think Gen Z, we're good. There is this rebellious nature that we all have where we want to improve things. But mm. be careful with the kids. I, I was working with these clients where their kids were on their free time drawing these demonic beings and cartoon characters that they were watching on these shows so it's i think gen z i of course we're making the news right now because we're at that age where we're getting publicity where we're learning ourselves we're being our we're being rock stars which i think every generation goes through but let's be very clear that i'm worried as a gen zer of the kids growing up now because Everything has to be cool. Like, oh man, it, it's almost like the addiction that we have. And I don't know if you're a coffee drinker of, I need coffee. I got to go make coffee. Kids have that now with entertainment. If like, I'm curious to see what happens when the kids these days get depressed. Like, how are they going to handle depression? How are they going to handle these difficulties when their brains and neural pathways are trained to have a solution come to them in five seconds, 10 seconds? Yeah. I'm worried about that too, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to experience that in 10 years. But what I'm seeing, though, if you've got all that social media, it's also at a time when the media is much more suspicious. There's much more conspiracy theories now because they're given voice. There's much more polarization. So what you've really got is a generation that doesn't trust what they've been told, a generation that's been exposed to experience, a generation that have had things were more scarce before. So they don't really want things, they want experience. And I think when you're talking about fear and don't try and limit me, it's really about if your main way of growing up 13, 14, 15, 16 to 20 has been watching this, people live their life on social media. You're there like, I want to do that. I want to be told and, and 10 years time, I want to be able to do that. It's, I want to do that now. And there, there is, you're about the age of my daughter's. And they've grown up with YouTubers and they talk about these YouTubers and that. And, and it's, they, for them, it's personal. And it's like they're people they know. So I think you've grown up going, they're doing this, they're doing this. I could do that. Let me at it. And so maybe there's, I think maybe that's what you're talking about is in terms of take me to the river is give me the experience. Let me have it and let me make sense of it. Yeah, let me feel. I think... Maybe and, and, and I'm curious too, because I, I have a niece, I'm the youngest of three, but I've taken on a lot of responsibility my entire life. I've always felt like a parent, even though I'm not, but obviously it's different when you've nurtured a, a, a human being to life, which congratulations, by the way, getting a child to, to 25 around that age is an accomplishment. So congratulations. But is there this level of, I worked so hard to give you these opportunities. Don't mess it up. Don't take I've tried to raise us up here. Don't take us back down here. I, I understand there must be a level of that, but we have to trust what's going on. We have to trust nature, almost like natural selection. If you look at the influencer marketing space, by the way, it's not all bad. Of course, there are a lot of influencers out there making a lot of money, but they earned it. People aren't there just giving them their views for no reason. They've earned it. 
And the reason why they make so much money is because the people watching also purchase from them. And then advertisers want to do business with the influencers because they generate cash flow. So it's not all bad. But if you do have someone looking up at the stars and saying, I want to do that too, don't tell them to be realistic because you've essentially taken them to a place where they can see beyond you. That's worth celebrating. If it scares you, good. This is what you signed up for. Being a parent is scary. I think we just need reminders and we need to respect the younger generation a little bit more and say, you know what? I have to trust you. There's a word, a, a phrase I remind myself a lot of based off of what I've experienced, which is lead by example. As I'm leading the next generation, I lead by example. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Of course, things might change and I am going to have this podcast here to keep me accountable. But I remind myself every day that if I do want to have children, it's not for the sake of trying to control who they choose to be. I don't think that's what we're here to do as a civilization. I think we're here to do something together as millions. And if we're here to do something together as millions, we have to be very careful of the rules we set up. If I say that I can put my mind to anything and I can do anything when it comes to achieving financial success or vitality, prosperity, then when it comes time for my kid to do the same thing, I can't tell them to be realistic. There's a lot of movies that teach you this kind of stuff too. Happy Feet 1 and Happy Feet 2. If you ever want to go watch it, it teaches you these lessons. But we all have to accept that the world is a scary place and it's especially scary for Gen Zers. There's, like you said, a lot of information coming out and a lot of the information that comes out, we also feel like we can't trust. I think that as much as we get frustrated by youthful energy, we also have to honor it. Because at the end of the day, whether we like it or not, Gen Zers will be the decision makers one day. So we can't just yell at them and tell them that they're doing things wrong. We have to say, wait a second, you get what you tolerate, your message, right? If Gen Zers are acting a fool and it's making us a little uncomfortable, maybe it's just a matter of us just doing a little bit of shadow work and figuring out why it's making us uncomfortable. But it's also understanding whether or not we're being too controlling. And we're not surrendering, whether that be God or the lessons of life, everything's changing drastically. AI, everything, dating, everything, right? Having children is a tough conversation. There's chemicals and water and you're, the banks are lying to you. Imagine trying to think about putting together a family in these times. It's not easy. And so there is this inner revolt and it looks messy sometimes. So give us a little bit of time. Give us a little bit of time. Like we're trying to make sense of this all and it's a lot to make sense of. Okay. I'd just like to get your advice. So there's this natural conflict. So we talked about Simon Simic saying it because a lot of businesses are saying it. For example, Pete, someone's, someone say, let me take the role of someone who's a leader and they spent 20, 25 years and they worked their way up. And they work their way up through the old way of they've put in the time, they've followed the rules, they fit it in, they've got up, they've become the leader. So they have taken on a young Gen Z millennial who's got an entirely different view, grown up with a different view, wants to be fulfilled, whatever. So there's a conflict between the person who's trying to run a profitable business who may not be like, it's not a parent, so they're not bothered about that. They want, they've hired someone, they want a result. They want to keep the business profitable. They want the person to be productive, whatever. They want them to fit into the business model that they have. 
How do we resolve those conflicts? It's a great question. And I, and I also want you to know that this is something I figure out on a daily basis too, right? I read a lot of books on autonomous leadership. I just finished reading Entrepreneurial Operating System. There's a reason why a lot of leaders focus a lot on psychology and systems, right? We're trying to figure out how to keep our organizations growing. Cash flow is oxygen, right? And when you spend years and years trying to make a system work where you can actually get sleep and you're not anxious and you can actually get some rest, you got to grow, you got to hire someone, and then you got to adapt to the economy. So sometimes whether you hire this younger person for their new skill set that is popular in the industry or whatever, it can be a little scary when they come with all these new ideas and they want to change so much, right? I think that it's just a matter of putting together a, an agreement, right? Everything happens in, 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 in terms of agreements. Like, for example, I just started a new position and I know that every ingredient that I put into this agreement, week one, week two, week three, it all matters. What I would highly recommend to anyone hiring a lot of these energetic, creative, visionary people is to be very clear on what you want. There's, and by the way, there are traditional books. So Dan Sullivan, he's been in the space now for a long time. He's 70 years old. He just wrote a book called Who Not How speaks about how when you want something done better than what you can see, you have to hire the who and let them handle the how. So are you hiring this younger person and are you qualified enough to tell them how they should be doing things? Or are they the most qualified to, to be the ones to tell themselves how to do things? I think just be very clear on what you're asking them to do. If you're asking them to be an assistant, if you're asking them to be a project manager, a social media manager, whatever it is, be very clear on what you need from them. And also update yourself on what the current work landscape looks like. Things have pivoted since the pandemic, not just for Gen Zers, for everyone. There's a whole work from home conversation and there's a big fulfillment conversation, right? Just update yourself because it's, it, it works. I've been, I work with Gen Zers. We're very productive. We're a very productive team, but only because, first of all, let's be honest, not every Gen Zer, just because they're a Gen Zer and they're young is right for your business. One thing I've learned is hire slow, fire fast. Take your due diligence, trying to hire someone, make sure they're a culture fit. But at the end of the day, nobody wants to feel limited. If somebody's excited and they got vision, nobody wants to feel limited. I think people want, especially Gen Zers, we want true, meaningful relationships. It's not just about the money for me, at least. If you and I are doing good business together, but you're not concerned about how my family is doing, you're not asking me with truth and authenticity, then then why are we working together? There's a lot too I've realized from all the technology that's coming out in decentralized autonomous organizations. There's a conversation that a lot of technology enthusiasts are, are, are studying right now because they think it will be a big conversation of what the world will look like in the next five to 10 years. So when you piece all these things together, you just have to understand that you, and, and I learned this from um, the company we worked with last year. Again, they had over 5,000 employees and they've been in business for 25 years selling coffee. Humans can't be engineered. We're not robots. As you're hiring Gen Zers, know that you're hiring a person. Know that you're hiring a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter. Know that you're hiring somebody that's navigating a lot of things. And also know and trust that those things can make your organization better. 
when I had this holistic conversation with my team and we implemented core values and I made the culture stronger and I communicated to the team that I truly care about them and that it's not about how many hours that they can put in. It's about how much impact they make. It made the entire place a, a, a better environment, but that's what I need. That's what I need for my business because we run a social media marketing business. It might be different for other people. Don't just hire a young person because they have less experience and they're going to be more affordable. Be very clear on what you need and understand that Gen Zers, we care about all that. We care. We want a relationship. We want a little bit more meaning. So I think it's just clarity. Be very clear on, first of all, what you need and what you're asking this person to do. And if you want them to come in and make the workplace a better place, you have to listen to their ideas. I've learned that a lot too. This year, you got to let your leaders make mistakes. You got to let your leaders lead. So if you're hiring a leader, if you're hiring, and I personally believe every person in the organization is a leader, they all create the culture. Just know, Gen Zers, we got a lot of ideas. Like you did say, around the high school time, we did grow up with a lot of technology. So we got a lot of ideas. We got a lot of information. Now, just because they're Gen Z, it doesn't mean you tolerate arrogance. I don't tolerate arrogance either. Just know what you want and know what you need and be very clear with the Gen Z about it because it can work. It just might not be what you need, mm. but don't look for a Gen Z just because they're affordable because they're going to want relationships. They're going to want someone that they can trust. Even if you look at what Gary Vaynerchuk has been teaching, jab, right hook, you give, and then you make an ask. If our customers want this, our employees want this. Gen Zers want to feel something from their employers. And if you're not ready to give that and that's not your model, then that's just the truth. Know what you need. And it might cost a little bit more, but at least there's synergy and alignment. If you're hiring a Gen Zer, you're essentially thinking, and you should be at least, can this person work in my company for the next 25 years and make it a better establishment? For me, I think that's really the direction that business has to be for all generations. It's really about connecting more to people, releasing more from people. And that's the way you do it. You create a bond, you build relationships, okay. you unite people. This has been fascinating. Now, if you, if there's ongoing conflict, so if we're talking about generation, what have you learned about navigating that conflict from the side of someone new into the workplace who's maybe in somewhere where there's more fear that they need to fit into? What tips have you learned for navigating that? successfully yeah it's courage and communication all the way through because misunderstandings are deadly and there's a lot of physical trauma that a lot of people don't calculate into the conversation as well you i could be looking at we could be working in the workspace together if you react to me physically and this could just be the way that you look at me or the way that you say something the tone of your voice it might trigger a memory of mine from an older traumatic experience. And I might not know that. And now I might associate you as evil. Rob's an evil person because of my past memory. So one thing that helps me navigate everything is just assume it's a misunderstanding and be courageous and clear it up. I've, I've learned that when you mitigate the time between a misunderstanding and the time you speak up about it, it, it helps retrain people anyways. So as you do enter a new space and a new team and you want it to be a high functioning performing team, value communication. There's one thing I've also done recently in my meetings that helps a lot, which is a, a level 10 meeting, which I've adopted from the uh, EOS system. And it's essentially rating your meetings. 
It's staying on track. It's knowing the goals and being very clear on where we're headed. Because if you and I are, are on a team together and we both have the same goal and we're both clashing on figuring out how to achieve this goal, isn't that a great thing? That's a good thing. We're both passionate about what we're trying to solve. So I think it's just communication. I think we need to set systems and protocols within ourselves to communicate better and teams can implement that and have that already a part of their infrastructure. When new team members come in, if you are a new team member going into the team, then implement that communication and courage. That's one of our core values is courage because we know that communication can be hard. Speaking up about something can be hard. So just make sure that there's clarity. Misunderstandings are deadly. Assumptions are deadly. If we're all here for the same common goal, then passion should be celebrated, but there shouldn't be arguments. Things should be clear. And if you find out that your team isn't as passionate about the common goals, then again, maybe it's just not a culture fit. So I would just say value communication and clarity. Speak to your team leader and ask them about how does the team like to communicate? How does the team take constructive criticism? How do I best deliver constructive criticism? Do we have a, a timed slots in the calendar where we give constructive criticism? Candor, moments of candor are huge. It's great. It's all great. Well, there's mutual understanding that we're all here to grow and perform. Then the misunderstandings just make you stronger. Like you mentioned at the beginning, relationships, right? You don't just swipe left and get married. You don't just fall in love and it's always easy. So it's the same thing, which is why everything we've said in this entire conversation is going to make the world a better place because we're learning about how complicated it is to be a civilization. So you and I sit here, we think about the conversation of a parent and a child. You think about the relationship of a, of, a, of a wife and a husband and everything in between, right? But it all adds up to family, community, cities, or towns, cities, states, countries, civilization right? So what we're really trying to figure out here is how to be a growing and prospering civilization. And the only way we can do that is through communication and alignment. So it all comes back to me, just clarity. Do I know what the 90 day goal is for this team? Do I know why it matters? Do I know that so-and-so is currently maybe living out of his car because he just recently went through a divorce? Is vulnerability part of the conversation and is there clarity around that kind of stuff? Every team is so different. There just needs to be clarity and it needs to be spoken about. So I would highly recommend to anyone joining a new team is just communicate and ask questions. And if you're part of a team where you find out that's not part of it and that people are just saying, hey, I'm just here to clock in and clock out, that might not be a position you're interested in unless it is. Great advice. Okay. Thank you. So if anyone wanted to reach out to you, so what might they want to reach out to you for and um, where would be the best way for them to find out more about you for sure yeah as solutions in the marketplace we offer three main big ones number one is do you want us to be in a married relationship with you and do you want us to give us our all to help you and your brand that's our kind of all-in automation social media automation marketing automation we'll create a system around you that you enjoy that communicates to people authentically and it generates business. Number two would be just leadership consulting, the in-between stuff. How do you adapt to the next generation? How do you adapt to the new tools and softwares coming out? 
that kind of stuff takes time. It's like learning how to dance. I can't just show you once. We got to practice, right? So we offer leadership consulting. And then we also offer just custom orders. We're a growing agency. We're only three years old. We have a lot of ideas. If you like the passion and the heart that we bring to the table in our projects and you have an idea and you're like, hey, Sandy, I want to throw a jet ski convention once a year and I want to invite them. something crazy. Everybody has crazy ideas. We have custom orders. You can reach out to us at goanomalous.com. Anomalous is the root word for anomaly. So we're all about deviating from the norm and helping you achieve your passion because there's room for everyone to be fulfilled and to be sovereign. Of course, I'm not saying about everybody can be happy, but everybody can have joy and fulfillment. And so we want to see if we can do that. So head over to goanomalous.com. You can see a little bit about us. Scroll down all the way to the bottom and there's a contact us form and reach out. Thank you, Sandy. That's been fascinating. Yeah, it's, it was a great conversation. I hear it a lot now too, but I love that. We're all speaking about it because we all care. And so let's understand that, right? We're speaking about this because we care. If we establish that we all just care about the situation and we're trying to improve it, we can all communicate. So let's sit down and let's talk about it. I appreciated the conversation. Exactly. That's really what I'm trying to do with teams of all generations. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. No, I appreciate the invitation. It was a great conversation. Thank you for listening. Please like, share, subscribe, and leave a review so we can spread more flow and unify teams. If you're on LinkedIn, please connect with me, Rob McPhillips.